Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. We're in week two uh, of our series, The Unlikely. God above the chaos, God above the chaos, and we're exploring a time in Israel's history where God had worked through some very unlikely people to be able to bring about deliverance of his people in the midst of a very chaotic time. So uh, as we shared last week, the, this time period of the judges is a period in Israel's history that began after the death of a leader. And that leader was Joshua. And if you remember, Joshua followed the leadership of Moses. Moses had come in and led the the nation of Israel out of their slavery and captivity in Egypt. They had wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. Moses dies. Joshua is the next leader that leads them into the promised land where they experience great victory by the very power of God. And the promised land gets divided up to the 12 tribes of Israel and to their families. And they receive the inheritance that had once received the first promise all the way back in the days of Abraham. But you see, in this period of time of the judges, it opens up by telling us that Joshua has died. And the period of the judges goes from that time all the way until they began to ask for a king, and King Saul becomes Israel's first king. So the time period in between the death of Joshua and Saul becoming Israel's first king is a period of time known as the judges. And during this time, here's what would happen. The people under the leadership of Joshua were serving the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But Joshua and his generation began to die off. The people hadn't fully driven out the nations of Canaan and the people of Canaan. And so they begin to drift away from the Lord and drift into worshiping the idols of the other nations that still live in the land. They begin to worship the Baals. They begin to worship the Asherahs. They set up this idolatry and they drift away from the Lord into idolatry. And as a result, God lifts his protective hand and he allows the kings of those nations to come in to take them captive and to lead them to a place of oppression and deep distress. And in that deep distress, they cry out to the Lord, and in His mercy, God raises up a deliverer or a judge, an unlikely character that leads them into battle against their enemies and brings freedom to them. And in the days of that judge, while that judge lives, they serve the Lord. There is peace in the land. They're serving God once again, and then that judge dies And they cycle back into the same thing over and over and over again until you come to the end of Joshua, or end of Judges, I'm sorry, the end of Judges, Judges chapter 21 and verse 25, that culminates in this declaration. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And I can't help but make the comparison to where we are today. That we are living in a time period like the judges where everybody is doing what they think is right in their own eyes. But the problem with that is that it leads to the same cycle. It leads to the same 
problem. It leads to a place of despair. It leads to a place of oppression. It leads to a place of addiction. It leads to a place where we are now held captive rather than walking in the freedom that God has promised and in the inheritance that God has promised. Instead, we are bound and we are in distress crying out to the Lord. Friends, today we have a world, we have a culture that is crying out in in distress. Depression and loneliness and suicide at an all-time high. Addiction and addictive behaviors are dominating people's lives. There is anger and there is violence within our culture and within our nation. Why? Because there is chaos. Because everybody is doing what is right in their own eyes. And we need for God to raise up some unlikely people. Some unlikely people that he will use for his glory. So today we're going to look at the first unlikely, a deliverer, a judge that God raised up to lead Israel back to victory in this first cycle of when they had drifted away from the Lord. We're going to look at Judges chapter 3 today. Judges chapter 3. So if you have your copy of God's Word, you're watching, it'll be on the screen as well. Judges 3, starting in verse 7. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God, and they served the Baals and the Asherahs. And the anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan Rishathaim, king of Aram of Naharim, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. The cycle begins, and you'll see this over and over. This is where the cycle begins. What's it say? Israel did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Notice, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Let me tell you something. You can do what's right in your own eyes, but it doesn't mean that it's right in the eyes of the Lord. You can do what you want, but it doesn't mean it's right in the eyes of the Lord. You might say that it's right, but what really matters is when you stand before the ultimate judge, God, what does he say? And the indictment against the Israelites here is they did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And as we talked about last week, what did they do? Well, they were supposed to drive out the Canaanites from the land. They were supposed to completely drive them out from the land, but they didn't do that. You see, these nations worship false gods. They engage in sexual immorality, gross sexual immorality, and child sacrifice. They, they, there was an abomination to the holiness of God. And God knew that if these nations remained in the land with his people Israel, that he would drag their hearts away and into idolatry. God knew that that would happen, so he told his people to drive them out, but they didn't. Instead, they made excuses, and we saw that last week, Joshua chapter 1, filled with excuses. But they, they have iron chariots. I mean, we don't have the weapons like they have. We just, we just can't do it. They're just, they're just too powerful. Oh, they're too determined. They're too stubborn. They just won't leave. Or, you know what? We can see an economic advantage here. Why don't we give our children in marriage to them and their children in marriage to us? We'll make them our slaves and we'll have an economic advantage. I mean, after all, doesn't God want us to be economically happy? So we'll, we'll compromise that way. But we know that the indictment against them was this, that those nations, by remaining in the land, it was as if they were saying, God was saying to them, listen, am I not powerful? Do you not have enough faith? It's not that I can't, it's that you won't drive them out. 
You won't be wholehearted in your obedience to me. And as a result, their hearts were drawn away from the Lord, and they did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And it says they forgot the Lord, and they served the Baals and the Asherahs, the idols of that day. You see, God was clear through Moses that that was a problem. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 and 4, this is what God said to his people right out of the gate. The first two of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or the waters below. You see, Israel had forgotten about that. They had forgotten the days when they were slaves in Egypt, but God had miraculously delivered them and brought them out. They had forgotten the times when God had been powerful in battle against the the, the cities of Jericho and the walls coming down. They had forgotten how awesome and powerful God was. And instead of receiving victory over their enemies and the promise being fulfilled to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, instead they began to turn their hearts over to idolatry. And they began to worship the gods of the pagan nations and cultures around them. And what was the result? God was angry. And he took his hand of protection off of them. He took his hand of protection, and as a result, they began to serve a wicked king who took away their freedom that they served for eight years years. The key word here is serve. They were supposed to be servants of God, but instead they became servants of man. They were supposed to be servants of God, but instead they found themselves in distress as they were servants to the gods of the culture around them. It's as if God said, listen, I have an easy yoke for you, but you're choosing a hard yoke. So you want the hard yoke? Go ahead and have the hard yoke. The man they served's name was Kushan Rishathaim. King of Mesopotamia, Rishathaim, is not his last name or a surname or a title. It means double wickedness. It's kind of like Ivan the Terrible. Double wickedness. God allowed them to serve a king whose name was double wickedness. A wicked man. Kushan means that he was a Kushite from Babylon. He was an heir to another man's throne. You might remember another man by the name of Nimrod, who was a notorious dictator in his day. And once again, there's a marked contrast because God had called Israel through Abraham to leave out of Mesopotamia and to go to a land that he did not know. But now, a ruler from that land, a ruler in the line of Nimrod by the name of Kushan Rishathaim, who who is double wickedness, now instead of serving God and the freedom that he had called them to, they are now serving the double wicked king, Kushan Rashithayim. You see, if we persist in disobedience, God will allow us to reap the consequences of our choices. Instead of experiencing peace and freedom and blessing, how many love it when we sing that song, The Blessing? Instead of reaping those kinds of things as we should, we find ourselves struggling under the oppressive weight of a world system we were never meant to serve. So what did Israel do? Judges 3, starting in verse 9, But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, the son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother who served them. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, so he became Israel's judge, and he went to war. The Lord gave Cushan Rishaidim, king of Aram, into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered him. So the land had peace for 40 years until Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. You see, it got so bad that Israel cried out to the Lord. 
Friends, how bad does it have to get before we cry out to the Lord? How bad does it have to get before we recognize that the idols that we've turned our hearts over to have now become the very things that oppress and serve us? How bad does it have to get before we turn to cry out to the Lord, before we stop trusting in horses and chariots and we decide that we're going to call on the name of the Lord? They cried out and called on the name of the Lord and God raised up for them a deliverer by the name of Othniel. Who is Othniel? Well, if you've read through the Bible, you know that in Judges, or Joshua chapter 15, we first see Othniel, and then in Joshua, or Judges chapter 1, we see him again. Othniel is from the tribe of Judah. He happens to be the nephew and son-in-law of a man who was one of only two from his generation who were slaves in Egypt, but who experienced not only the wandering of 40 years in the wilderness, but also got to take hold and go into and enter into the very promised land that God had promised. What was his name? Caleb. Caleb. His uncle was Caleb. His father-in-law, who later became his father-in-law, was Caleb. You remember Caleb? Earlier in Israel's history, why did Caleb get to enter in along with the other guy, Joshua? Because they were only two out of 12 spies that as they had entered the land and came back, even though there was a report that there were giants in the land and there were strong cities in the land and strong people, they were the only two that trusted that God would be able to take Israel in and give them victory over the enemy. Ten of the spies brought back a bad report. But Numbers chapter 13 and verse 30 says this, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. You see, when the others didn't have faith, Caleb had faith. When the others didn't have faith to believe that God could bring them victory, Caleb had faith to believe that God could bring them victory. And God pronounced judgment on their generation. Look at Numbers 14, 23 and 24. Not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb, look at this, has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Notice he had a different spirit. There was a spirit of faith in Caleb that was not in the other spies. There was something different. And God had promised and said, you will see the inheritance. You will experience the inheritance because of the faith that you have put in me. And why is that so important? Because later on at 85 years of age when Caleb is finally in the promised land and they are doing some battle, uh, along with the other leaders of Judah, Caleb approaches his buddy Joshua from that day and he says, hey, remember, remember Moses gave me, Moses promised me some land. He promised me some land. It's my time, all right? We've been fighting, but it's my time. It's my time. Let's read about it. Joshua 14, 12 to 14. He says this, now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard that the Anakites, those were the giants, were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kezanite, ever since because he followed the Lord God of Israel. Look at this wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. 
85 years of age. He says, I know there's Anakites there. I know there's giants there. And I know those cities are fortified. But guess what? That's what I saw when we spied out the land. And that's the land I want. You know what was so key about Hebron? Because Hebron was the place that when Abraham's wife Sarah died, he went and he, he purchased a cave and a field in which to bury her. You know where it was? In Hebron. You know where Abraham was buried? In Hebron. You know where Isaac was buried? In Hebron. You know where Isaac's wife Leah was buried? In Hebron. You know where Jacob was buried? In Hebron. You recognize that that was the first piece of land that was purchased by Abraham. The first piece of land that God gave Abraham as a, as a small piece of the inheritance at that time. And so Caleb says, well, that's valuable. I recognize there's giants that are holding on to that land. I recognize that it's a fortified place that's holding on to that land. But you know what? Even at 85 years of age, I know that God is able to give me that land. I know that God is able to take down the giants in that land. Give me that land. And at 85 years of age, he led a battle and he took back the land, the promised land that was his land because he served God wholeheartedly. And he wasn't fighting it for himself. He was older. You know what he was fighting it for? He was fighting it for the next generation. He wanted it for his daughter. He wanted it for his son-in-law. He wanted it for his grandkids. He was fighting for the next generation. Fighting for the next generation. And that, my friends, to bring it back to the judge we're looking at today, that is the example that Othniel had. That's who Othniel watched. Othniel watched Caleb. So what happens is, is that, that then Caleb was inspired to say, you know what, we're not stopping here. We need to take another land by the name of, of, of Kiriath Sefer. Look at this, Judges chapter 1, 10 through 13. Try, they advanced against, excuse me, they advanced against the Canaanites living in Hebron, formerly called Kiriath Arba. Defeated Sheshai, Iman, and Talmai. From there they advanced against the people living in Debur, formerly called Kiriath Sefer. And here's Caleb. This is what Caleb said. I'll give my daughter Aksa in marriage to the man who attacks and captures Kiriath Sefer. And Othniel, the son of Canaz, this is the judge we're talking about, this is early on, Othniel, the son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it. And so he gave his daughter, Caleb gave his daughter Aksa uh, to him in marriage. You see what happened? He'd been watching Uncle Caleb. Othniel's been watching Uncle Caleb. And he's been saying, man, Uncle Caleb's got the heart. He's got, he's got the kind of heart. He's got the kind of faith. You know, that's the kind of faith I want. That's the kind of faith I want. So when his turn came, you know what he did? He said, you know what? That's what I want. I got this land. I'll take this one. I'll battle for this one. And, and Caleb said, well, whoever takes it will get my daughter in marriage. He said, I want that. I want that. I'm going after that. And so we see, we see Othniel fighting a battle. Othniel knew how to fight a battle. He saw the Lord work on his behalf to drive out the enemy. But then Judges chapter 2 comes around. And in verse 7 it says, The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. That's all the things that he had seen as they came out of, uh, as they were wandering in the wilderness and as they took the land. Uh, and, and so what happens is Caleb dies and Joshua dies and these other greats who had remembered died. And Othniel's there getting older and he's watching as those who had gone before the spiritual giants had died. And instead he's seeing the generation after him begin to turn to idolatry and to begin to drift away. And he's watching this. 
And verse 10, after that, a whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, and another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They're crying out. He watches, he witnesses, he's seeing a generation drift away. He had fought for land. He had seen his uncle fight for land. But now he's watching a generation drift away. A generation drift into idolatry. A generation drift into compromise. But here it is. What makes him unlikely? Because by this point, a whole generation had died off. A new generation had been raised up. But this time, Othniel's an older man. He had fought his battle. But now God calls him. And says, I'm calling you. I'm calling you. My people have cried out to me in distress. But I'm calling you, Othniel. I'm calling you. Now's your time to step up. And I want you to lead this people into victory. I want you to lead this people out of their distress. I want you to lead a new generation. I want you to step up and lead. And Othniel says, but come on, Lord, I'm older. And he says, no, I want you to lead. And he goes, well, you know what? And my uncle Caleb was 85 when he started. What's stopping me? What's stopping me? Why would God choose an unlikely older man by the name of Othniel to stand up? Well, let me tell you, he knew how to fight spiritual battles. Because Othniel knew how to fight spiritual battles. Listen, Judges chapter 3 opens like this in verse 1. These are the nations the Lord left to test all of those Israelites who had not, look at this, who had not experienced any wars in Canaan. He did this not only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not, excuse me, he did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not previous, who had not had previous battle experience. He was training them for war. Training them for war. Now listen, you might say, well, this sounds like a physical standpoint here. We're going to get, we got we to train some people for war. We got to take in some weapons. Friends, I'm not talking about physical weapons. In fact, the Bible talks about, particularly in the New Testament, about a spiritual battle, about spiritual warfare. We got to understand this from a spiritual warfare. We're not talking about a physical warfare. Driving the people of Canaan out is not about driving out physical people. It's about driving out the spirit of the age and the sinfulness of idolatry that is a snare in the hearts of the people and in the generation here in this land. It's about idolatry and a snare that it continues to trip us up. It's about a spiritual battle. Listen, listen, listen to what Paul said, Ephesians 6, 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Friends, we are not talking about the physical. We're talking about the spiritual. Don't miss it. There's a lot of people that are fighting against each other physically. There's a lot of division that's going on in our nation and that's going on within the church as people turn and attack one another physically, not recognizing that there is a spiritual enemy who has snared the heart of people, who has drawn the heart of people away and is causing division among us. We're not talking about fighting physically. We're talking about people who are being called, who know how to fight spiritually, who know how to fight spiritual battles, who know how to get on their knees and recognize a spiritual enemy, an enemy who wants our soul, and a many enemy who's roaming around seeking whom he may devour. 
And I met an enemy who's a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the enemy we're fighting. That's the enemy we're fighting. An enemy wants to steal our peace. An enemy wants to steal our joy. An enemy wants to keep us bound and addicted. An enemy that wants to take us captive. Listen, friends, we need to put on the full armor of God. The full armor of God to take our stand. And the Bible says to pray in the spirit on all occasions. Pray in the spirit and to take every thought captive and to make it obedient to Christ. That the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are spiritual for the pulling down of strongholds. Are there any people that know how to fight spiritually anymore? Are there any people that know how to get on their knees and know how to fast and know how to pray? You see, that's the kind of people that God is calling up. A people who are wholehearted in serving the Lord. Caleb was wholehearted in serving the Lord and knew how to battle in faith. And Othniel saw it. And Othniel knew how to battle in faith. And when his time came, God said, Othniel, I'm calling you because there's a generation that doesn't know how to fight. There's a generation that doesn't know how to battle. There's a generation that does not know how to spiritual in spiritual warfare. And I need people like you that know how to battle spiritually to train the next generation and to show them how to gain victory in me. How to gain victory in Christ. There are a whole lot of people that are bound under a doubly wicked king by the name of Satan. Othniel's name means lion of God. He was from the tribe of Judah. He's a, he's a, t- a piece of one who would come later on. Jesus Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah, who comes to bring victory, who said, my kingdom is not of this world. Put your sword away, Peter. We're not fighting like that. We're fighting spiritually. There's a spiritual battle that comes when we learn how to surrender and when we learn how to lay down our lives. When we we learn how to say, I'm going to take up my cross and follow him. Do we know what that means? We need Othniels who are going to stand up and lead the next generation in spiritual warfare. Where are the Othniels who are going to lead this next generation to fight spiritually? Secondly, why was Othniel's God choice? Because he hadn't compromised his obedience. He hadn't compromised. He was, he was different from those around him. He hadn't compromised. You said, what are you talking about? Well, this can be a little controversial, but it's okay because it's critical. Judges chapter 3, 5, and 6. The Israelites lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, and all the Itesites, and they took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. Listen, this is not about racial intermarriage. Don't, don't get that. Don't, don't mess that up. What's going on here is, is compromise. In these areas, you would give your sons and daughters in marriage to make peace. To make peace. Peace at all costs. It doesn't matter. You don't worship the same God as we do. That's okay. We want to have peace. We don't want to have conflict. So we'll give our daughters in marriage to you. And you'll give our sons in marriage to your daughters. And we'll just be a big, one big happy family. But the problem is that one big happy family mixed a little bit of the God of Israel that we worship. And a little bit of the God of the age. And as a result, they were not serving the Lord wholeheartedly. And their hearts turned more and more to idolatry. Because that 
That's what happens when you have one foot in and one foot out. That's what happens when you begin to compromise a little bit. Well, it's okay. I mean, we do what's right in our own eyes. I mean, after all, our culture says that this is okay. So it must be okay, even though the Bible says it isn't okay. But that's okay, because we got to have a little bit here and a little bit there so that we can have peace. Let's have peace. And instead, what we have is a bunch of broken people who are bound in idolatry and who do not know how to live in the victory and the freedom and the inheritance that God promises us. And Othniel didn't do that. See, when Caleb said, I'm going to give my daughter in marriage to the one who knows how to fight. The one who knows how to fight, I'm going to give my daughter in marriage to that. And Othniel said, you know what, that's a woman of God right there. I know that. I know Caleb's daughter. Because you know what happened? After he married her, she said, you know, you better go up and ask my daddy for those springs. You know what? This is part of our inheritance. All of those springs. Make sure we get those springs. Make sure we get that. Why? Because Caleb's daughter recognized and honored the inheritance. She understood the promises to Abraham and Isaac and to Jacob. She understood what that meant and she valued it herself. And Othniel said, that's the kind of woman I want to marry. The same kind of woman that values the same things that I value. That is willing to have the same kind of faith that I have. Are we willing to not compromise in our relationships? Too many of us compromising. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. What's wrong with a little sexual immorality? I mean, everybody's doing it. Everybody's living with their boyfriend and their girlfriend and having sex before marriage. Come on, that Bible thing's archaic, is it? Because what I've seen is a generation whose hearts are not serving the Lord, and it's in the church as well. What's wrong with a little bit of compromise? Oh, pastor, you're offending people. I pray the Holy Spirit convicts some people because the church has been living compromise and then we want to turn around and go, oh, I wonder why God's not working. I wonder why we're not seeing obedience. I wonder why we're not seeing victory. Gee, I wonder. Where are the Othniels that know how to fight the spiritual battle? Where are the Othniels that say, I'm not going to compromise. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If we're going to see victory in our lives, God's calling some Othniels to rise up who are going to fight for purity and keep themselves from compromise. Thirdly, he was filled with the Spirit of God. Filled with the Spirit of God. We need some people filled with the Spirit of God. Judges 3.10. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. He didn't defeat the enemy in his own power. This wasn't because he was some powerful guy. Again, he was unlikely because he was older. He wasn't some young spring chicken, but he knew how to fight spiritually. He knew how to fight, and he knew that the power of the Holy Spirit, the greater was he that was in him than he that is in the world. That's, the kind, that's, that's what he had. That's the kind of person that, that Othniel was. He was a person that was filled with the Spirit of God. Like, like the Lord spoke to Zerubbabel in Zechariah 4, 6, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Man, Jesus told his disciples, here's what I want you to do. Go and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Listen, Paul said in, five, in Ephesians 5.18, don't get drunk on wine. Why? Because what is wine? Spirits. What do we call alcohol? Spirits. Why? Because when you're under the influence of the Spirit, you do things you would never do before. You get all loud. 
You get all like, I'm going to fight. Oh, I'm invincible. You get up on tables and you start doing weird things because you're under the influence of something. Paul said, that's not the kind of spirit you need to be under. Don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. But there's a lot of compromise. There's a lot of compromise. There's a lot of people that would rather get filled with the, with, the, with the spirit of alcohol than get filled with the spirit of God. Where's the people that want to get filled with the Spirit of God? You see, the Othniels are the people that recognize the importance of being filled with the Spirit of God. That recognize that the battle is going to be fought. It's going to be fought spiritually, which means I've got to be filled with the Spirit of God. I've got to have the Holy Spirit living within me. Value the Spirit of God. So I'm going to ask the worship team as we close. Listen, Israel had a generation who had forgotten the Lord. They didn't truly know the Lord. They had compromised in their faith, and they had started serving the idols and the gods of the people around them. And they were bound, and they were in distress, and they were under the, the influence of a doubly wicked king. And, and it was chaos, and they cried out to the Lord, and God raised up for them an unlikely deliverer named Othniel. And uh, Othniel, who knew how to fight. He was older, but he knew how to fight. He encountered the God who delivered from enemies and was more powerful and understood that that God could deliver them out of the hand of evil. He had not compromised and he was full of the Holy Spirit. And friends, God is looking for some Othniels today. God is looking for some men and women. Men and women who know how to fight. Men and women who know how to fight spiritually, who have fought spiritually and have seen God bring victory even in the midst of circumstances that should not have been, but you've experienced and you know the power of God and you know how to fight spiritually in the power of God. And you say, I have not compromised. I have not compromised. Men and women, Othniels who are full of the Holy Spirit, who are ready to stand up and lead this generation back to the Lord. Lead this generation back to revival. Lead this generation back spiritually. It is time for some Othniels to stand up. It is time God is calling from some people to get full of the Holy Spirit again. God is calling some people to repent of your compromise and get right with the Lord. God is calling some people to say, I'm not going to have one foot in and one foot out. I'm going to be sold out, holy to the Lord, filled with the power of the Spirit. And I'm going to say, yes, God, I'll say yes to you. I'll say yes to you. Are you the one that God is calling today? Is God calling you to step up and to say, I'm done with compromise? Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I'm going to start doing some battle spiritually against the enemy. Come on. Come on. Who is God calling today? Maybe you're online. Is God calling you today? Is God calling you today? Come on, friends. If you need to repent of compromise, begin to do that. Say, God, forgive me. Forgive me for compromise. Forgive me for one foot in and one foot out. God, forgive me when I... When I've caved and I've, I've turned into a physical battle, which should have been a spiritual battle, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. God, I need to be filled with your Holy Spirit. Maybe at one time you would receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but you, you haven't been praying in the Spirit. You kind of drifted, and you say, Lord, I need your Holy Spirit. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I need your Holy Spirit. We need a spirit-filled generation. 
We need a spirit-filled people. Come on, let's cry out to the Lord today. If you're in here, will you stand today? If you're at home, will you begin to cry out to the Lord? Say, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. God, forgive me of my compromise. Drive out the compromise, Lord. I repent today, and I turn to you. I cry out to you today, Lord. Lord, I cry out to you today. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Save us, Lord. Deliver us, Lord. Father, we say yes to your call. We say yes to your call. We want to be the Othniels, the men and women of God, full of the Holy Spirit and without compromise. We want to fight the spiritual battle for the next generation. Oh, we cry out to you, Lord. We cry out to you, Lord. Come on, we're going to begin to worship right now, and I'm going to come down. If you want prayer today, maybe you need to come down to this altar and just do business with God. Maybe you need prayer today. Maybe the Lord is just saying, you know what, I just get prayer today. I'm going to be down front. We can pray for you today. Pastor James is going to be down front. We'll pray for you today. Come on, our pastoral staff will be down here today. We want to pray for you today. If you want to come to these altars, come at home. Will you need a prayer request? Will you put it in the chat and let us pray for you today? Come on. Come on, let's worship and let's pray today. Come on, let's close this service around the altar today. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's Word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.